the Fram episode. The Fram episode. The Fram episode. Starting in five, four, three, two, one. Episode three. Comedy for social justice. It's good to laugh. The Fram episode. Welcome back. This is season two, episode three comedy for social justice and I hope I can bring some laughter in a situation uh, that is fraught with anger and sadness disbelief horror and this month of October 2023 uh, during the time when Jewish folks should be celebrating Sukkot and at the end, in being joyful, the state of Israel experienced a terrorist attack. And, of course, with my Jewish ethnicity, my ancestors, uh, my Jewish ancestors, this tore me, this made me so angry, this makes me angry still. It's difficult for me to record this episode. I had already planned this episode before this horrible, disgusting terrorist attack happened upon the people of Israel. And I am basically fighting through it. Uh, but I need, I need a moment, a reprieve, because it's so heavy right now. And so I'm using this moment, this opportunity to finish this episode uh, to give me some headspace to calm down because I'm so angry and so upset hearing friends say they cannot get a hold of, they can't contact their relatives who are in Israel or are visiting, went to visit Israel. Hearing rabbis this last week talk about uh, who they know is missing and who is, who is gone and seeing what's in the news. Uh, horrible, horrible, disgusting things done to humans, even babies. So I'm going to um, try my best to produce this episode. And uh, I hope that it helps those some folks out there to give them a moment of reprieve to calm down and gather their thoughts. And remember... That we are a strong people. Jewish people are a strong people. Yes, I stand with Israel. And we will become even stronger after this horrible, disgusting terrorist attack. So we are going to begin this episode of Comedy for Social Justice. The need to focus on topics social justice topics through the avenue of comedy and how comedy can be used to send a message about what needs to be focused on during a time when other, when people are not focusing on what 
uh, uh, what is important. Now let me begin. And again, welcome you back. I hope you're doing okay. So let's get this episode started. You know, I often joke about tensions between me and the press, but uh, honestly, what they say doesn't bother me. I understand we've got an adversarial system. I'm a mellow sort of guy. And that's why I invited Luther, my anger translator, to join me here tonight. Hold on to your lily white butts. In our fast-changing world, traditions like the White House Correspondents' Dinner are important. I mean, really? What is this dinner? And why am I required to come to it? Jim Bush, did you really want to do this? Because despite our differences, we count on the press to shed light on the most important issues of the day. And we can count on Fox News to terrify old white people with some nonsense. see eye to eye. Oh, and CNN, thank you so much for the wall-to-wall Ebola coverage. For two whole weeks, we were one step away from the walking dead. And then y'all got up and just moved on to the next day. That was awesome. Oh, and by the way, just if you didn't notice, you don't have Ebola! <laughs> but I still deeply appreciate the work that you do. Protecting our democracy is more important than ever. For example, the Supreme Court ruled that the donor who gave Ted Cruz $6 million was just exercising free speech. Yeah, it's the kind of speech like this. I just wasted $6 million. And it's not just Republicans. Hillary will have to rage huge sums of money, too. Oh, yeah. She gonna get that money. She gonna get all all the money. Khaleesi is coming to Westeros. So watch out. Woo! The nonstop focus on billionaire donors creates real problems for our democracy. And that's why we run it for a third term. No, 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 we're not. We're not? No. Who the hell said that? But we do need to stay focused on some big challenges, like climate change. Hey, listen, y'all, if you haven't noticed, California is bone dry. It looked like a trailer for the new Mad Max movie up in there. Y'all think that Bradley Cooper came here because he wants to talk to Chuck Todd? He needed a glass of water! Come on! The science is clear. The science is clear. Nine out of the ten hottest years ever came in the last decade. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know how to count to ten. Rising seas, more violent storms. You got mosquitoes, sweaty people on the train, stinking it up. It's just nasty. I mean, 
look at who's what who, look at what's happening right now every serious scientist says we need that the pentagon says it's a national security risk miami floods on a sunny day and Instead of doing anything about it, we've got elected officials throwing snowballs in the Senate. Okay, okay, Mr. A, okay I, I think I got it, bro. I, it is crazy. What about our kids? What kind of stupid, short-sighted, irresponsible bull? Whoa, 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 hey! What? Okay, no, hey. So I, I had to include the... Um, White House Correspondents 2015 speech, President Obama, uh, with uh, Keegan-Michael Key, who's one of my favorite uh, comedic actors and comedians, uh, besides uh, others, which I will uh, showcase on today's episode. It, it, it Laughing makes me feel good all the time. Uh, there are times where I'll force myself to laugh. But laughing makes me feel good all the time when I do it. When we laugh, let me just get this started. When we laugh, the physiological changes. So it changes body chemistry and brain function. Laughter increases the heart and respiratory rates as well as oxygen consumption over a short period of time. And it also pushes a person towards, moves a person towards a state of relaxation uh, fairly quickly. And sometimes this can uh, amount to having almost the same effects from doing an aerobic exercise, depending on how long you're laughing. Laughter affects the heart function. It increases stroke volume and cardiac output, and it dilates blood vessels. Even after an intense laughter, your muscles feel a little toned. That helps a little bit. I mean, I know when I've uh, laughed extremely hard, my I'll start laughing and I'll continue to laugh and I'll go, oh, my cheeks hurt. My cheeks hurt, and I'm still laughing while I'm saying my cheeks hurt, my, my cheeks on my face. Um, so much uh, evidence there of using your muscles. When you're watching humorous videos, it revs up the uh, sympathetic nervous system. Uh, it doesn't increase blood pressure, but it, it, it revs it up. Laughter lowers levels of the stress hormone cortisol. Uh, laughter activates the meso, I'm going to say this word, uh, mesolympic uh, dopaminergic reward system of the brain. So the word dopamine, feeling off, giving a sense of uh, feeling rewarded from the brain. Uh, laughter increases serum uh, immunoglobulins, A and E. In most studies, it seems to increase the natural killer cell activity as well. So the cells that are protective in the body. It raises levels of uh, beta endorphins. This is like, this is a feel-good chemical in your body and it increases human growth hormone. Humor also relieves tension. It reassures people. It, me it reassures them in a way they, they can bring their guard down a little bit, the relaxation, relaxation effect, and it draws people together. It, 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 finds a, it finds a, it helps people to find a way to connect and to get people to remember we are all different. Let's remember how different we are. But guess what? We have comedy and we have other things that help us to connect each other together and to be, uh, to be considerate uh, and, and to maintain our community. A little bit of a history. I mean, with uh, comedy and social justice, it's, it's a young, it's a young uh, enterprise. Uh, there's a book called A Comedian 
and an activist walk into a bar, The Serious Role of Comedy and Social Justice. This is a 2020 book by Ketty Burham Chatu and Lauren Feldman. And this book was hoping to have a, it had a specific endeavor. It wanted to argue that media and technological disruptions combined with newly invigorated calls for justice, it created the ideal conditions for boundary pushing socially critical comedy to not only thrive in the entertainment marketplace, but also play a strategic role in social change efforts. And that's the main reason why I wanted to do this episode, social change efforts. I wanted to make an effort and see what in general with my podcast to make an effort with in social justice and social justice, but also to see what can, uh, what areas where an effort can be made and comedy is one of them. So it shouldn't be neglected. Uh, in this book, uh, that Chatu and Feldman, they, they mention how co comedians who say something serious about the world, they, they make us laugh or are capable of mobilizing the masses. They're, they focus on a critical lens on injustices and they uh, insert hope and optimism into seemingly really hopeless and upsetting uh, situation and problems. So, and then there's research that's been done out there and I'm not going to go into detail about all the research that's been out there. You full well know if you've laughed how, how good you feel and you full well know if you've been in a group of people laughing watching a movie and a movie theater that you all feel some semblance of a bond. You're there because you like some actor. You're there because you like that type of comedy. You're there because you're interested in that topic, that movie is going on. And this book also, let me reiterate the book. So you remember, and you should get it. A comedian and an activist walk into a bar. It's a 2020 book. This book goes into talking about, you know, it focuses on the, the digital entertainment ecosystem and how it's been, you know, dominated with, all kinds of interesting upstarts, including Netflix. Now, Netflix has a, um, an, a social justice effort, too. They get they have something involved that where they call it Netflix is a joke. And there's other streaming outlets. They do they have a power to shape and demonstrate a massive audience uh, marketplace uh, for diverse comedic voices. And they, they overtly take on social justice issues. There are also... I grew up with, and I'm had. I felt I need to mention this because I grew up with this as a young child. TV comedy sketch programs like Saturday Night Live, they skewer social issues. They go, they'll they'll go off on skits on social issues as race, gender, uh, politics, class, anti-Semitism, um, hate. Uh, they go off on everything, um, and they reassert uh, a, a cultural legacy in the United States that is, I think, a major part of the history of comedy and social justice. You, you can't, I don't think you can talk about comedy and social justice without discussing Saturday Night Live. And then you have other situations. You have, you know, comedy's prominent role and popularity in the dominant system of popular culture. It, we absorb the majority of our beliefs and ideologies and cultural narratives and, and uh, values from popular culture. Comedy plays a big role in popular culture because people accept things easier. Remember, comedy gets people to let their guard down, relax. So people accept things easier. And it, it, it has a, it's a catch 22 because comedy that's outright, you know, just damaging, people start taking on beliefs that are damaging. Whereas in this episode, we're talking about comedy and social justice. 
people think and they they double check and they uh, ponder and then they yes they do they more e easily take on uh comments that the co the comedians are making that raise a good point a point that needs to be discussed and that's not being discussed enough or being ignored and historically like i said comedy and social justice is young uh we didn't really see um, much effort in regards to social justice and comedy. In 1960, Time Magazine featured a comedian, uh, Mort Saul. He was famous for his humorous social critiques. And he focused on the powerful social influence of a new class uh, and a new situation of what was going on at the time. And he was part of a new group of comedians uh, that considered themselves public intellectuals. And then when we, it wasn't very common, it wasn't very prominent until after September 11th tax, 9-11, where you quickly in the United States uh, saw a new chapter, a sudden in your face, uh, Muslim American comedians grabbing microphones and talking about Islamophobia and trying to combat what they, they call Islamophobia and to explain and reveal and connect with with the prejudice uh, and to try to dispel the beliefs between what's a good Muslim and what's a bad Muslim, but using comedy to do it. And it was a really prominent uh, at that time when comedy and social justice stood out all of a sudden. It took a center stage at times. If we look at comedy, comedians are acting not just as joke tellers, but as truth tellers. They guide us through cultural debates. They present an introduction into cultural debates. Uh, they're they're doing the work of uh, at, at the forefront, uh, and they're doing it at every avenue in clubs and on network variety shows and cable sitcoms and on the internet. One of the other avenues that I enjoy. Uh, getting my comedy from, you can have satirical news. The most recognizable um, would be uh, The Daily Show or Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which I watch. This reaches a whole new level, uh, a group of people, and it also uh, hits at a whole new agenda setting stage, a whole new uh, reach, and it does emphasize social critique using comedy. So these uh, shows that have popped up in the last how many years, they are highly influential about uh, comedy and social justice. I'm going to play some more comedy because I, I, I feel that laughter can be the best medicine sometimes. It also can be a situation, a moment of uh, stepping back and calming down uh, amid all the terrible things that go on in the world and just resetting yourself to prepare yourself to take on uh, what is ahead of you. Saturday Night Live 2023 with Pedro Pascal Babe, so before we go in, I just want you to know that my mom can be pretty protective of me and I just don't want you to get scared off. Lewis, don't worry, we're good. Okay, <laughs> Whoa, Mami Minta, we're home! Nicolito, I'm coming! <laughs> 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 
Concentration in 17th century Baroque architecture. So she doesn't like money. <laughs> Mama, please. Brittany wants to be an art professor one day. Yeah. Oh, so she's a lesbian. <laughs> Mama, please. No, 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 no. Mi nuera no puede estudiar fine art y usar tu dinero para de que Baroque architecture. Mama, por favor, no le importa el dinero. Te puedes imaginar Van Gogh, Picasso, Brittany with the vegan sliders. <laughs> No le hables así a la pobre. Es una nice white girl. Se cuida mucho. Siempre se pone sunscreen y tiene mucho talento. Sabe jugar ultimate frisbee. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Listen, I am so sorry if I offended you in any way. I only want the best for your son. Like, Louis, uh, do you remember when you were having trouble concentrating for semester? Oh no, no, no. Oh, and I set you up with my family doctor. What? Now he's on ADD medication and he's doing a lot better. My son, don't have ADD. He just like to jump. Oh well, ADD isn't anything to be embarrassed about. Demi Lovato has it. Ella entra a mi casa con su family doctor hablando de que normalize ADD. She's not talking about you, Mama. Yo entiendo que no te cae bien su unisex apparel. What? Y si no fuera por ella, yo nunca viera White Lotus. Esta brujita con su Pinterest hablando de que Hey, man, wanna go get some sweet green? Pero no me diga a mí que te vas a casar con ella o tener una relación long term, ¿ok? No. What? A mí no me importa si tú te metes con ella para un one night stand. Hit it and quit it. week tonight with John Oliver October 2023 specifically tonight's story is about the health care currently offered in jails and prisons that's right after five long months 
we're welcoming you back with a story about prisoner healthcare because deep down, this is who we are. And I know that for some, the very concept of incarcerated people getting medical care is somehow offensive. As you can tell from the fact that for years, the subject's been framed on TV like this. Spokane County taxpayers are paying the bill for alleged killers, rapists, and child molesters to see doctors, dentists, and specialists. Have you ever seen a meth user's teeth? It's called meth mouth, and it is awful. KOAT anchor Todd Kurtz shows you how all of that decay is costing you money as jails and prisons are forced to fix those teeth. There is a place where we are all guaranteed health care by law. It's called jail. And criminals know their way around the system and look for chances to get treatment on the taxpayer's dime. Okay, it is just wild to point out that the only place Americans are guaranteed health care is jail. And somehow make it seem like the problem is prisoners and not our deeply broken system. Yeah, apparently the only place you can get free dental is jail. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Exactly. Fuck that guy and his teeth. And putting aside the fact that not everyone who's incarcerated is even guilty, it's worth pointing out that according to a recent study, 100% of prisoners are actually people. I mean, like human beings people. Not the kind that you are, they have hopes and souls and farts and brains. And if that isn't enough, you should know the Constitution requires that we provide adequate health care to anyone behind bars. In 1976, the Supreme Court ruled that denying medical treatment to prisoners constitutes cruel and unusual punishment in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Yet despite all of that, the quality of care prisoners receive is abysmal. Elon Gold on The Late Late Show with James Corden. February 2023. This is good. This is fun. We needed this, right? It's been a lot recently for all of us, right? And listen, I don't mean to complain, but <laughs> is it me or does it feel like these past couple of years, everyone was either asymptomatic or anti-Semitic? <laughs> and like being asymptomatic, you could be anti-Semitic and not even know you have it. <laughs> Or you could have a severe case, go to the super spreader events, you know, the rallies with the tiki torches, the Jews will not replace us. We don't want to replace you. We just want to put braces on you. <laughs> replace you? We just want to manage your portfolio, okay? If we replace you, how are we going to invoice you exactly? Did you think that far ahead, you big dum-dum? replace you. No, we want to place you in a 30-year fixed low-interest mortgage fees and rates may apply. We want to fit you for glasses, okay? Teach you, make you laugh, represent you in the divorce when she replaces you. Probably with a doctor who specializes in knee replacements but only sees well, patience. Thank you, guys. That was fun. Thank you, James. So I'm taking a pause from playing some wonderful comedic moments that I feel are helpful during times of stress, during times of upset, unrest, during times of sadness and depression. We all know comedy makes us feel good. Now, you can't lie. And the the better it is, the the longer the memory we have of that moment of feeling good. And yeah, my first time of recognizing that comedy is important, that comedy should mean more than what 
people say it is, was as a white chick with Jewish ancestry, Jewish ethnicity, uh, Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Uh, that The first time I heard that, which I was not allowed to hear it, actually, I snuck in my dad's uh, car and played it for a moment and listened to it. And I was very young and realized, you know, this is this there are there is truth to be heard uh, well, through all the laughter and through all of the snorting and through all of the giggles and through all of the embarrassing laugh. There is truth to be heard. And comedy, sometimes it hits you in the gut while you're laughing. Sometimes it's it's secret and uh, it slides right in there and catches you on the end, on the end tail of the joke. And you, you have a sudden epiphany or realization uh, and you get it, you get the message. But in certain times, comedy just shuts you the hell up. It shuts you up. And it requires you to look at yourself and make fun of yourself. So I learned from an early age that, you know what, I'm not perfect and nobody else that I've ever met or know or nobody else out there is perfect. I don't care what they say. You need to make fun of yourself and you need to recognize that that imperfection is one way to make a connection with somebody. And so I haven't heard enough of women, the comedians, female comedians taking a part in social justice. There are uh, several ladies out there uh, that I, and they slide that point right in all of a sudden and get you to think. And that's some of the reasons why I like listening to these ladies. So let me give you some more excerpts as I round out this episode of Comedy and Social Justice. Christina Pasitsky. Netflix is a joke. 2023. The 80s, man. There was no mindful parenting. My mom used to cuss me out in the JCPenney parking lot in Hungarian, <laughs> screaming at me, which translates to, I'm gonna hit your head so hard. You're gonna shit your pants. <laughs> yeah, you could hit your kid. Hell, you could hit other people's kids. That wasn't illegal. You were doing that mom a favor. Naomi Ekparajan. Netflix is a joke. 2021. Trust white men because most white men were once white boys, all right? And as a child of the 80s and 90s, every movie and TV show I watched was about a little white boy getting into trouble and having bad energy, okay? These little white boys love making friends with an extraterrestrial, okay? <laughs> they will go ahead and find a gremlin, okay? Little white, they had in close encounters of the third kind. What are the other two? What are the other two encounters? We don't know. We don't know. Little white boys, I'll tell you right now, little white boys love opening a portal to another dimension. <laughs> Honey, these bitches will open 
portal and leave you to pick up the pieces. That's what happened. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie The Gate? This is from 1989, very formative for me. And it's literally about two little white boys home alone for a holiday weekend, and they open up a pathway to hell. <laughs> Why couldn't they just order a pizza like everybody else? I don't trust it. It's to the point where nothing scares me more. No image shakes me to my core. Like seeing one or more white boys riding bicycles. <laughs> Margaret Cho. Netflix is a joke. 2023. But in the 80s, I was a straight-up dang, and it was different then. I mean, we didn't have Queer Eye. You know, we didn't have anything like that, you know, and it was dangerous to be gay and it was very hard. It was like the 80s and I, I was like, I'm gay, I'm gay. I had like really heavy boots and like cargo pants with lots of shit in the pockets, like carabiners and D-rings and measuring tape. And... Lesbians just like to hook shit on other shit. It starts with a fucking friendship bracelet and then hooking one thing into another thing and then it's a U-Haul. So you're just hooking one thing to another thing. Heavy as fuck, I'm gay, I'm gay. You know, bike chain and a messenger bag and a CD player playing Ani DeFranco. because we were gay because you had to be gay you had to be strong as a lesbian we had to be strong in the 80s because our brothers our gay men were dying of AIDS so we had to be there for them be strong for them be courageous for them and they were learning how to have safer sex and use condoms so lesbians in solidarity were using dental dams there's nothing sadder they're trying to eat pussy through a piece of plastic. Michelle Buteau. Netflix is a joke. 2023. Thank you, white girls be snapping. I love woke white people. Yes, this is my town hall. Thank you so much. Yes, let's get to the issues at hand. A cute little white on the back. Yes, sister. Yes, sis. Speak on it, sis. I'll see you on TikTok. <laughs> also, guys, don't take your dick out. <laughs> Who's taking their dick out? Nobody wanna see your dick. Nobody wanna see your dick. You know somebody wants to see your dick if they say, let me see your dick. <laughs> I wanna see that dick. That's how you know somebody wants to see your dick, guys. Come on. Matt Lammer, nobody wants to see your crusty bit of dick. Yuck. Louis C.K., nobody wants to see that ginger dick. No, thank you. Harvey Weinstein, huh, huh, huh. Nobody wants to see that pastrami mess. Yuck. Charlie Rose, how did he get his adult diaper off to show his dick? I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing really well. Very exciting time for me. I just turned 40. What? I know. Thank you so much. I don't look 40 at all because I'm happy. And I'll take it. I'll take it. My friends are like, girl, she's going to change when you turn 40. You just see. And I'm like, shut up. What are you talking about? But like a light switch, 
it changed. Like the minute I turned 40, I was like, ooh, I am all about comfort. I have to be comfortable all the time. Like I can't wear anything with buttons. Uh-uh, not with these tig old biddies. Are you serious? And the right breast is bigger, so it's always trying to come out. Call it John McCain, it's like a POW. I was just in the San Francisco airport. They had a breastfeeding room. Oh, I just went in there and took my bra off for two hours. I'm all about that comfort. This lady was like, do you have a baby? I'm like, mind your business, bitch. I'm freeing my nipple. I'm 40. So I wanted to wrap up comedy and social justice. I wanted to give everybody some time to think about what's going on, some time to step back, and some time to take a deep breath, some time to calm down, some time to laugh at yourself, and some time to recognize that there are forces out there beyond our control. And before I wrap this up, I know this is October, but I won't be able to play this any other time because I'm going to be doing another topic for the next two episodes of season two. But one of my favorite SNL skits, besides Schwitty Balls, the other one is More Cowbell. And I take out this episode and end it with Blue Oyster Cult and More Cowbell. I wish you well. And I will, uh, hopefully, you'll ha come back and listen to the next two episodes. Episode four is next of season two. Until then, I wish you well. I wish you good health. And have a good one. After a series of staggering defeats, Blue Oyster Cult assembled in the recording studio in late 1976 for a session with famed producer Bruce Dickinson. And luckily for us, the cameras were rolling. All right, guys, I, I think we're ready to lay this first track down. By the way, my name is Bruce Dickinson. Yes, the Bruce Dickinson. And I got to tell you, fellas, you have got what appears to be a dynamite sound. Coming from you, Bruce, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you Bruce Dickinson. This is incredible. I can't believe Bruce Dixon digs our sound. Easy, guys. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Fear, don't fear the reaper. Take one, roll. All right. One, two, three, four. Sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. <laughs> so let's take it again. And Gene, yeah, really explore the studio space this time. You got it, Bruce. I mean, really. 
Yeah. Explore the space. I like what I'm hearing. Go. Before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold-plated diapers. What does that mean? Never question Bruce Dickinson. Go. One, two, three, four. The Fram episode.